Okay, it's one of those nights, um, you know, when the wheels kind of come off, and uh, that's okay, because we're still going to worship. We're still going to worship the Lord, and we're going to hear what God has to say to us from His Word. And I know it's been a little jumbled, um, and uh, so I want to pray one more time and ask God to, to help us hear what He has to say to us from the Scriptures, okay? So let's, let's ask for His help one more time. Oh God, we thank you for uh, this time together as the body of Christ. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our Lord. Father, we pray your spirit will come and that he will teach us. He will teach us from the word. Oh Lord, that we would have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. Father, that we would have soft hearts and soft minds. Oh God, that we would be pliable in your hands for you are the potter and we are but the clay. Oh, Father, do all your good pleasure here tonight in each one of our lives. Help us to truly listen. Help us to hear you. Help us to glimpse the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. In his name I pray. Amen. Okay. Um, every, every once in a while it happens, right? Technical difficulties. Um, well, I, I know you know I really, really, I said this last week, I really, really, really enjoyed preaching through Hebrews 11. It gripped my heart. I was sharing with somebody this week. It gripped me. And it's, it's such an invitation. Hebrews 11 is an invitation for us to live lives that God created us to live. To live by faith. To live with a passionate love for God. That's how He created us to live. And Hebrews 11 is an invitation to do that. He didn't redeem us to live lukewarm lives. He didn't redeem us to be half-hearted and, and, and careful. He redeemed us to love Him. Okay? He purchased us with a price that we might be wholehearted lovers of God. That is genuine Christianity. We've been talking about that ever since the first of the year. Hebrews 11 is genuine Christianity. Real men, real women seeking a real God. Okay? Not half-heartedly, but with everything they have. And I was thinking to myself, I had the passing thought, well, I'm going to miss Hebrews 11, but you know what? Then I opened my Bible and I began to read where we left off at Christmas in John chapter 12. And I began to read about the glory of Christ and I realized I wasn't going to miss Hebrews 11 at all. We're back in the Gospel of John and we're looking face-to-face, uh, eye-to-eye with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I was saying to myself, how am I going to bridge Hebrews 11 to John 12? How am I going to make, have some continuity here? And there it was, John 12, 13. And I'm going to preach from 12, uh, John 12, 12. If you have a Bible, you might want to open that. Open your Bible and follow along with me, John 12, 12 through 19. Those will be the verses that I'll be, I'll be preaching. But there it was in verse 13. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Tonight we're going to see a multitude proclaim Christ the Son of God. And when I say multitude, I'm serious. We're talking maybe a million people here. Okay? There are at least two to two and a half million people in Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And we may be talking about a million people here who came out to greet the Lord Jesus. But what we're going to discover here, they proclaim Him Messiah, but we're going to find out they don't really believe it. Right? 
we're going to discover that they don't really get who Jesus is. They don't really believe. They want Christ to be their kind of God, right? They want Jesus to be a political Savior, a political Messiah. That's what the Jews wanted. But He's not going to be that. And I was thinking as I read this text, I was thinking, this is a huge problem today. Men and women want God to be who they want God to be, right? Even in the church. It doesn't matter what God says about Himself in the Bible. He clearly reveals Himself. But many, often, many times you find that people don't really care what God says in the Bible. They're just going to make one up for themselves. And this is what the Jews are doing in John chapter 12. They say, we don't like this God that's come. So what do they do? They kill Him. We want a God to meet our needs, who meets our sensibilities, who does, who runs the world the way we want it run. Right? And that's what we're going to see all the way through that from John 12 to John 21. They're going, to, they're going to nail God to a cross. They didn't want this God. They didn't want the God who is. So you know what they did? They decided to make up one on their own. And I thought to myself, wow, how epidemic is that in the world today? How epidemic. And even in professed Christianity, people say, oh, I, I don't like what the Bible says about God. My God doesn't do that. My God would never act like that. My God would never judge anyone. You know what? When you hear people say that, you're pretty, you're, you're pretty well assured that that's exactly what they're talking about. They're talking about the God that they've conjured up for themselves. Right? They're not talking about the biblical God because the biblical God says, Yes, I judge men who reject my son. It's clear. But we, we it's epidemic. Men, by and large, reject the God that is. And I want to, I want to share some scripture with you about that. I want to share some scripture with you about that. There's that great text over in Romans 1. And I've taken you there a couple of times. And I would invite you to turn with me there. Maybe one more time, Romans 1. And I'm going to share with you what, what God says about, about mankind. I was going to share with you that this is one of the questions, one of the most frequent questions I get asked as a pastor. Well, why hasn't God revealed Himself to all mankind? And my answer is always the same. Well, although God is under no obligation to reveal Himself to mankind who has rejected Him and rebelled against Him, He's under no further obligation, but God has revealed Himself. He's re revealed Himself through the created order. He's revealed Himself through the prophets. He's re revealed Himself uh, through the Scriptures. He's revealed Himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's revealed Himself through the Holy Spirit. God is revealing Himself. But what I want to show you in, in uh, Romans chapter 1 is the truth about fallen man. Now let, let, let me just read 18 to 22 in Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who what? Suppress the truth. Okay? In unrighteousness. Because... That which is known about God is what? It's evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, 
being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. God just said, I made every man, woman, boy, and girl in such a way they intuitively know I'm here. They intuitively know I'm God. And he says, there is no man on the planet who is without excuse. All men are without excuse. Let me say that right. All men are without excuse. You know, and God knows you know, that's how God made you, okay? You're without excuse. We all without excuse. Verse 21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor Him. At, did you hear what that said? Even though we knew God. Do you get that? We know He's God. The Jews know Jesus Christ is God. You know, we've been saying this all through, John. It's not that men don't understand. It's that they do understand. And Romans 1 makes it really clear that we are without excuse. God has created us in such a way that we know He's there. For even though they knew God, they did not what? Honor Him or give thanks. Friends, are you honoring God? Are you giving thanks to God? That's why we're here, friends. They did not honor Him or give thanks. And they became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the true God for a false God. You see that there in verse 23? And I thought to myself, man, how epidemic is that on the planet? How epidemic is that on the planet? God says clearly in Romans 1.20, men are without excuse. They know I'm here. Friends, I just want you to understand what the Bible says. I want you to understand what the Bible says. We are all without excuse. I've always loved that Job 12 text. Job says, ask the beast, ask the birds, ask the earth, ask the fish. Who among these do not know? In effect, Job is saying, all these know that God is God. And if you read through the Gospels, you realize... Jesus kept encountering the devils and the demons, and the demons would address him. They knew he was God, right? They knew he was God. It seems like it's only men who refuse to acknowledge him. It's only men who refuse to acknowledge God. So what's my bridge from Hebrews 11 to John chapter 12? It's, a, it's one of contrast. In Hebrews 11, we saw men and women who believed God. And what we're going to see in John 12 and in the following chapters, we're going to see men and women who reject God. Big difference. Okay? So how do I tie those two chapters together? It's, it's one of contrast. It's one of contrast. It's one of belief and unbelief. We saw in Hebrews 11, men and women in love with God and following Him with all that they had. Friends, we talked about this for all, ever since the first of the year, is that how it is with you and God? Are you pursuing Him? Are you seeking Him? Are you obeying Him? Are you loving Him? Is there a real relationship going on? That's biblical Christianity. And, and I was thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say one more thing, then I'm going to get into the text. I was thinking about, you remember when we, when we left John 12 at Christmas? You remember my Christmas text? Does anybody remember my Christmas text? It was about Mary. Mary of Bethany, you remember what Mary did in John chapter 12? Does anybody remember what she did? And we talked about it. We said, now, here's a woman who understands Christmas. Here's a woman who gets it. You remember what Mary did? She loved 
Jesus so much that she poured out, remember we did it in our context, one year's worth of wages uh, in the first century. We kind of brought it current. 20 grand worth of costly spike nard. She anointed the Lord Jesus. She poured out $20,000 in extravagant worship. Here's a woman who understands that God has come in the flesh and she's in awe. You've got to love it. And we saw that beautiful picture of a woman who believes. Again, I just want to paint that contrast. Belief and unbelief. And we're going to see unbelief in action in the coming chapters. In the coming chapters of John. The first century Jews rejected Jesus Christ. He's God, and yet they conspired against Him. They insulted Him. They accused Him of being of the devil. They falsely arrested Him. They falsely tried Him. They falsely testified against Him. They falsely convicted Him. And then they finally nailed Him to a tree. So let me, get, let, let me quickly get us reacquainted with John 12, okay? What did we, when we left, Jesus had just raised. We just preached through John 11, and it was that beautiful text. He just raised Lazarus from the dead. You know, here's, a, here's the last sign in John, the last of the seven signs. Jesus calls a man who's been dead in the tomb for four days. He calls him out. This is not a resuscitation. This is a resurrection. This is a creator God miracle. He creates life in that dead, decomposing, stinking corpse of Lazarus. This is a supernatural miracle. And then we saw, remember, we saw how the Pharisees, they never denied the fact that there was a miracle, but in John eleven fifty three, 53, they said, how can we kill him? And then we see in, in John 12, 10, not only did they want to kill Jesus, who else did they want to kill? They wanted to kill Lazarus too. He was the evidence. Here's evidence walking around. We got to get rid of him. This is how hard their hearts were. They never denied the miracle. They simply wanted to, they simply said, you're not the God we bargained for. We'll nail you to a tree. And that's what they did. And that's what they did. We see the hardness of men's hearts throughout the balance of John chapter 12. And I want to say this too. You know, many times you hear this this is called, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, you hear this called the triumphal entry, but I want to share with you, friends, I, I don't like that name for this passage. I, it's not a, a triumphal entry. If, in fact, if you, look at the, if you look at the text, if you look, go back and you look in Luke, and, and I want to say to you, this is in all four Gospels. Did I, I didn't say that to you, did it? It's in all four Gospels. And I want, to make, I want to make much of this, that, it's in, that this account is in all four Gospels. There's only a, a handful of events in the life of Christ that are in all four Gospels. This one is. But I want to say to you that, that if you read the Luke account of, of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, Jesus is weeping. Okay? This is not a triumphal entry from God's perspective. This is the Lamb of God coming to be slaughtered. And Jesus is crying over the city, the hardness of their hearts and their unbelief. And he's coming to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. Okay? But I want to share with you just real quickly. Jesus does have a triumphal entry. And you know what? It's still future to us. Right? And, and I'm just going to share briefly with you. I'm going to turn over to Revelation. I'm just going to share this text with you. Uh, Revelation 19. We'll begin in verse 11. This is when Jesus, this is Jesus' real triumphal entry, okay? 
And John writes, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. And his eyes are a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems, and he has a name written upon him, which no one knows except himself. And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, are following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Every eye will see that. You will see that. Every eye will see the triumphal return of God. The triumphal return of the Lord Jesus. This is really not His triumphant return. It's because the people, they're cheering for a false God. They're cheering for a God that they want Jesus to be, but He's not that God. So Jesus is coming in. I, want to share, I just want to say to you, He's coming in on a donkey. It's a symbol of peace. He's riding a, a, a donkey colt. It's probably not much bigger than a German shepherd. He's riding this small animal. It's a sign of peace. He's coming in peace. He's coming to bring salvation. And there's a multitude with him following him from Bethany. And there's a multitude coming out from Jerusalem. There may be a million people involved here. In fact, uh, Matthew writes in his gospel, he says, All the city was stirred at this time. All the city was stirred. So here we are. All the people are throwing their garments out. They're kind of making a red carpet for Jesus. They're throwing out, his, out their garments and they're throwing out palm branches. And Jesus is coming into the city. And we see this here in verse 12. On the next day, the great multitude had come to the feast. When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet Him and began to cry out, Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Even the King of Israel. Of Israel, As I told you, this is one of the few events that's recorded in all four Gospels, and I didn't understand it. And I said, Lord, why is this in all four Gospels? I, it just wasn't evident to me as I studied the text. And so I just, I just prayed. I said, Lord, I don't see it. I understand it's an important event, but there's got to be a reason it's, it's in all four Gospels. There's got to be a reason it's, that you've given it to us in stereo like this. And I'm sure there are many reasons, but I saw one. Okay, I saw one. It's verse 13. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. If I asked you to tell me, what do you think Hosanna means? What would you say? Anybody willing to offer a, a guess? Hosanna. Any ideas? Par pardon me? Save, okay. Any others? Okay, it's kind of morphed. It's one of those words that's morphed, okay? You know, we have those words in the English and the, the Dutch and the Italian, whatever your language is. You know, you have those words that change over time. This is one of those words that changed over time. This word is, is from the Hebrew word Hoshiana, okay? Hoshiana appears one time in the Old Testament. It's Psalm 118.25. 
And if you go to Psalm 118.25, you don't see the word Hosanna. You don't see Hoshiana. You see, oh God, save us, please. Jane was right. Hoshiana means, oh God, save us, please. That's what it means. And, I, and when, I, when, I, when I studied that word, I saw, well, this is why God put this in all four, all four Gospels. This is why it's in all four Gospels. God's answering His prayer. Right? God is answering the prayer. Hoshiana. God, save us, please. And here He comes. He's riding on a donkey. God Himself is riding on a donkey. And as I thought about this, I thought about how God answered this prayer before it was ever prayed. This is one of the mysteries. We've talked about this in, in the women's Bible study. This is one of the mysteries of prayer. This is one of the beauties and mysteries of prayer. God answered in eternity past the prayer that was prayed in time. I know that's difficult for our finite minds to get. But God answered this prayer. He says it in, in Ephesians chapter 1. What does Paul say? Before the foundation of the world. This is what Paul says, okay? So this prayer was answered. God says... I'm answering this prayer, Hoshiana. Save us, please, God. I'm answering this prayer. And we saw from the very first prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ in Genesis chapter 3, uh, the very first prophecy of Him in, in antiquity, right? All the way through the Old Testament and, and into the New Testament, God is answering the prayer, Save us, please. He's answering that prayer. And I love that. And He doesn't want us to miss that. He doesn't want us to miss that. God is answering the prayer of men for salvation. Hoshiana. Oh God, save us, please. I'm going to jump over to the Luke 19 uh, account of this event. Okay, just real quick. I'm just going to read a, a verse or two. I just want to share with you that the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen. Okay, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And then, and then some Pharisees in the multitude said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. You remember what Jesus said to them? Jesus answered and said, I tell you the truth. If, I, if they remain silent, what? The stones will cry out. The stones know I'm God. It's like that, it's like that, it's like what Job said. The beast know, the earth knows, the fish know, the birds know. It just seems that men don't know. It's not that they don't know. It goes, you go back to that Romans 1, uh, that Romans 1 passage, and it's that men, there's that passage in Romans 1, it says, men did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. Men did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. But friends, Jesus said, if my disciples don't praise me, these rocks will cry out. If I had given them vocal cords, they already would be crying out. I love that. Friends, don't be bested by a rock. Okay? We've been talking about this. What would, what, here's another bridge to this text. What did the lives of the men and women of Hebrews 11 shout as they followed him in faith? What did it shout? What did their lives shout? I love Jesus Christ above all things. And, and you could watch Noah and you could watch Abraham. They weren't perfect. We talked about this. You could watch David. You could watch uh, uh, some more of those guys. You could watch Sarah and, and uh, Rahab. You could watch and it would say, I love God. 
right off their life. You would watch their life, you would watch their deeds, you'd hear their words, and it would say, I love God. And we've been talking a lot about this. Does your life shout that? Don't let a rock outdo you, okay? Don't let a rock best you. Jesus says these very stones will cry out if my disciples don't praise me. I love that. I've always loved that text. I use it many, many times. But I love that text. I love that text. Paul says it's only men who refuse to honor God. It's only men who refuse to acknowledge Him. Don't be bested by a rock. Now there was, there's, uh, there's two things that really prove the deity of Christ. And we've talked about this. One is the miracles. And we were just talking about that. Of course, Lazarus being the the most uh, uh, phenomenal one. But there's one other thing that, uh, that proves the deity of Jesus, and it is that He fulfills Scripture. Now, I had an Old Testament scholar tell me, and I, I've, never, I've never personally verified this, but I had an Old Testament scholar tell me in seminary that Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies of the Old Testament. I've never counted them up. I have no reason to doubt Him. But there's one for sure I know, okay? It's the one quoted here that John quotes in, in verse 15. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And I want to read to you, that's, that's an abbreviation of Zechariah 9.9. Let me just read the whole verse to you from Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and he is endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a donkey. That was written 600 years before the Lord Jesus came in to Jerusalem. The Lord Jesus, he did the... You remember what he said in John 5? We talked a lot about this. You remember what he did in, you remember what he said in John 5? He said, why do you not believe? He said, my works testify to who I am. John the Baptist told you who I am. God the Father has borne witness of me audibly from heaven. The prophets bore witness of me. The scriptures bear witness of me. Why do you not believe? And I guess I'll ask you the same question that the Lord Jesus put to the, all those around him. I'll ask you, why do you not believe? If you're here tonight and you don't believe, why do you not believe? God says you have no excuse not to believe. Have you come to Christ? Have you received Him as your Lord and Savior? You have no excuse, friends. I'm just telling you what God says. I, this is not what Jim says. This is what God says. That's what we do here. We preach the Bible. And some people don't come back because we preach the Bible, okay? That happens. But we're going to preach the Word of God. You don't want to hear what I think. Who cares what I think? Let's hear what God thinks, right? Let's hear what God says. It doesn't matter what I think. My opinion is worthless. But here's an opinion that matters. Here's an opinion that heaven and hell is dependent upon. The opinion of God. The opinion of God. There was one thing I wanted to share with you. There was another question, and I, I, I shot past it. I'm a little, extra, I'm a little jazzed tonight. And uh, there was one, one thing I wanted to share with you that I shot past, and I want to go back and pick it up. Um, Men do not see fit to acknowledge God. This is one, another one of those questions I get a lot of times as a pastor. They say, well, how come there's evil in the world? You ever heard that one? Some of you probably asked that one. Why is, there, why is there evil in the world? 
Well, all we have to do is read our Bibles. God put us in paradise, but what did we do? We chose evil. All you got to do is read your Bible. We chose evil. And then, and, and Paul says in Romans 1, 28 through 31, he says, men do not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, so he gave them over to a depraved mind. What does that mean? God just said, hey, if that's what you want, go get it. If you're rejecting me, if you don't want me, go get it. And that's what he says. And then we see, and doesn't this just sound like the world? All you got to do is go to Romans 1, 29 through 31. You can read this list for yourself. This is what... This is what men do. This is what men have done after they left God. Listen to what it says. You can go read it in the Bible for yourself. Uh, Romans 1, 29-31. Man is filled with unrighteousness and wickedness and greed and evil and envy and murder and strife and deceit and malice and slander and gossip and insolent. He's insolent. He's arrogant. He's boastful. And I love this phrase. He's an inventor of evil. He's untrustworthy. He's unloving. He's unmerciful. He is a hater of God. And you're not going to hear that preached very often. And not many people are going to love you enough to preach the truth like that. But that's what God says about fallen man. And yet, the reason I'm making that so hard, the reason I'm saying it so strongly, is because I want you to understand, we've turned our backs on God. But wait a minute! I wish Dave Johnson were here because he always says, I can't believe it. It's too awesome. The gospel's too... But wait a minute. Here comes God on a donkey. We don't deserve God to come on a donkey, but here He comes. It's God Himself. He's in the flesh. He's coming on a donkey and He's going to be nailed to a tree because He loves you and He loves me. <laughs> I, I, I've said it so many times. If God weren't telling me this, I would never believe it. It's too beautiful, right? It's too awesome. God says, I'm answering the prayer, Hoshiana. Oh God, save us. God says, I'm answering the prayer. I've got a few more comments and I'll be, I'll be through. G God says, Jesus is my one answer to that prayer. Okay, now this is another thing that, that, that men hate, the world hates about Christianity. It's the exclusive claims of Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, what? But by me, there is no other way. There's not a thousand ways. There's not a hundred ways. There's not ten ways. There's not two ways. There's one way to God. And His name is Jesus Christ. And you and I, it's incumbent upon you and I to receive Him as Savior and Lord. Friends, there's no middle place to be here. There's no middle place to be. There's only one way. God says, I'm answering the prayer, Hoshiana. One way. It's my son. He's coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. It's my son in the flesh. And, I'm gonna say, and you say, well, Jim, you preached pretty hard tonight. Yes, I did. Friends, I don't, want us to, I don't want anybody to walk out of here and be mistaken about this. God has answered the prayer, Hoshiana. His name is Jesus Christ. There's no other way to Him. You say, well, Jim, you sound dogmatic. I'm always dogmatic when the Bible's dogmatic. Okay? 
I stand on this. This is not, these are not my words. And I want to say to you, a hard, God-made truth is of infinitely, is infinitely more value, valuable and loving than a soft, man-made lie. Did you get what that? Did you, I, I kind of butchered that, so I'm going to say it again. A hard, God-made truth is infinitely more valuable to you and infinitely more loving to you to know than for me to stand up here and soft-pedal some lies to you. What you get in your average church these days. You get this milk toast stuff. I'm done. I, I, know, you, I know many of you would be happy about that. Um, uh, I, I, I want to close with a quote from C.S. Lewis. I was reading... I was reading Lewis. Uh, C.S. Lewis was a great, you know, Oxford scholar, and you know the guy was a br the guy was brilliant. They call him the, one of the intellectual giants of the, the 20th century. So many of you know who he is. Uh, he was talking about his pilgrimage from atheism. The guy was brilliant. Okay, he, he, he went from atheism to idealism to just some kind of nebulous theism, and then he landed with Jesus. And I want to share with you what he writes. C.S. Lewis says, I am driven to think that whatever else may be true, the popular scientific cosmology at any rate is certainly not true. Now, what's he talking about? Cosmology is just a big word that means, you know, the, the, the popular scientific view that we're just a big grown-up germ, right? Everything came from nothing. It all was an accident. And, and men are grown-up germs, okay? That's what he's saying. He says, hey, he says, I left that ship because it does not float. All right, I, I love the way he said that. But listen to what he says. So I moved to something like philosophical ide idealism or theism. He said, it must at the very worst be less untrue than the scientific hypothesis. Then he says this, and idealis idealism turned out, when you look at it seriously, to be only disguised theism. Now I know this, these are some big words, but I love what he says here. But once you move to theism, you have to look at Christ. He says, once you move to theism, he said, you have to look at Jesus Christ. And when you examine what he says, he says, there is no middle ground with Jesus Christ. And I've shared this quote with you before. Lewis says, Jesus Christ is either a lunatic or he's God. There's nowhere else to be with him. Right? There's nowhere else to be with Christ. He's either a lunatic or he's God. And C.S. Lewis is right. So lies and liars are a dime a dozen. That's what Satan does for a living. And dead religion is his best, one of his best weapons. Arguably the most religious men to ever walk the planet are the men who conspired to murder Jesus. Okay? Just read your, just read your Bible. These were the religious cream of the crop in Judea in the first century. And they killed God. God says, I have answered the prayers of men. God, save us, please. And his name is Jesus Christ. Friends, ultimately there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who are doing what Paul says, they are suppressing the truth. It may not be that they go out in the world and say, oh, that's not true. What they do is they hold it down in themselves. You understand what I'm saying? That's what Paul's talking about. They hear the truth, but they won't let it up. They hold it down. They suppress the truth in themselves. That's what Paul's talking about. So, it's men or women who suppress the truth of Christ 
or they love it. And there's no middle place. You can't be lukewarm with Jesus, right? We've been talking about that. We saw it in the, in the Revelation. So, where do you land? Where do you land? Are you a suppressor of the truth? Or do you love Jesus Christ? There's no place else to be. And I want to invite you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you tonight to come to Him. I invite you to come to Him tonight. And if you don't understand what that means, come talk to me. Call me. We'll get together. I'll try to help you understand biblically what that means. And for all of you here that are Christians tonight, all of you here that, that belong to the Lord, love the Lord, serving the Lord, honoring the Lord in your life, all of you like that, then I just want to encourage you to love people enough to tell them the truth. Okay? Don't let them, don't let them be deceived by syrupy lies that Satan tells and that men repeat, and that religion propagates. Okay? Love people enough to share the truth with them. God says, I am answering the prayer, Hoshiana. His name is Jesus Christ. Praise God. Our Savior has come. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank You for this text. We thank You... We thank you for your answered prayer, Father, a prayer you answered in eternity past. Oh God, a prayer that you had answered, you had prepared a Savior for us before Adam drew his first breath. You had prepared our Savior for us. Oh God, oh God, thank you. Thank you that you have purpose to display your grace and your love and your mercy. Oh Lord, we don't deserve such a great Savior, but you have given us one. Oh, Lord, help us to be men and women who don't suppress the truth within us. But, oh, God, come to Christ and receive Him as Savior and Lord. Lord, help us to be lovers of God. And, oh, Jesus, as, as we've been talking about, let, let You be read off our lives, Father. May Jesus Christ be read off our lives. May, may the lost world see that we are indeed Christians. We are indeed lovers of God. Oh, Lord, help us to live like that. Help us to live like that in these few moments we have on the planet. Oh, God, we praise you. We love you. We thank you for these few moments we've had together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit who teaches and convicts and, and renews and regenerates and changes hearts. Oh, God, change us all tonight. Help us to walk out of here loving you more than when we walked in. We pray this all in the beautiful name of Jesus. Thank you very much. I appreciate your kind attention. You're dismissed. Yes. No, we've said no.